That was high taking my juice I pulled on my mama's stove With a Pyrex full of sushi roll I hit it with them ice chips and ramen noodle bowls It hardened up and turned into a block Look like the soup was cold We are back once again, Quentin And this week, we are the better, better SCI Because um, we are the, uh, we're the tournament We're going to be even better than the Southern Honor Wrestling SCI Okay, but like tonight. When we thought of this name, I don't think we even figured out what our acronym is for for our SCI. Oh, for our SCI, um, a show called uh, uh, Imbeciles. I don't know. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, so, yeah. That's a. That's uh. We'll just get into the first news story. There, Southern Honor is running something that they're calling their own SCI. Um, they're calling it the bigger SCI, the better SCI, whatever they're calling it. Uh, weird. Weird story. Um, what do you think about this one, Quinn? Uh, yeah, this one's weird, obviously. Um, I don't know what I <laughs> we can and can't say about this, so I'm just going to say, um, from my understanding of it, this is a very uh, immature and stupid move i don't know why um why they're getting a kick out of this i don't i don't understand i don't understand the motive here at all um and and, and i'll leave it at, and I'll, leave, I'll leave it at that yeah i mean it's that idea you know all publicity is good publicity but i, I think that that's been proven to be false in in 2020 i don't think you get the same well, people are talking about it, so it's a good thing. Because, I mean, I now know about it, and I may have not known about it, but I'm not more inclined to care or watch it because of this. So maybe not the best move. Um, you know, but in the same arena of, uh, of petty <laughs> bullshit, got Evolve running a live free stream at the same time as AEW's uh, Revolution show. Did you see any of this or hear anyone even talking about it at even slightly? I saw like one person tweet tweet out the Facebook Live. Uh, like, other than that, like that completely flew, flew under my radar, and uh, it doesn't even make sense to try to even use Evolve as counter programming at this point, just because no one gives a fuck about about Evolve. So, right, yeah, I'm not even sure if, I, if that was counter programming or if that was just, hey, we still have an Evolve show. Can we, do we do we want to stream it anywhere? Sure, let's stream it for free somewhere. But like. Right. No one watches Evolve, so I'm not, I'm not even sure I can, I can call it counter-programming. <laughs> yeah, no one no one gives a shit. AEW is 
you know, regularly beating NXT in the rating wars, you're not gonna evolve is not gonna be competition for them, even if it is free on Facebook or whatever. I, I know that um, I know that me and you kind of like stayed away from the AEW NXT ratings talk after the first few weeks, but like, yeah, man, it is so fascinating to me, and like really just proves like how like I guess we're just stagnant the WWE like uh uh fan base is that. Like before, and like a little after Survivor Series, like yeah, like that's like that's when they're that's when they're sort of like uh, dominating the ratings. But after that, and then way before that, when uh, stuff first started, it's been like so handily AEW that it's like it's not like it's not even really worth a discussion anymore. <laughs> no, I know the, the the rating stock is just completely pointless because it's the trends have been proven AEW always has more viewers AEW has younger audiences better in the demos all that stuff constantly to the work if you're even still talking about it you're just beating a dead horse even bringing it up at this point and, and the arguments about quality of the shows back and forth i guess are somewhat there but AEW feels like a major league wrestling promotion and product and nxt still feels like the third brand from the big company that's you know even their best brands aren't very good it's, so it's like i just don't see and yeah, and I still I still think the distinction is more as like at least for me still. And then even now, like after Revolution, I'm like, we might have more of an argument. It's like, can we even say that NXT is still has like the the better matches? Because like I watched I watched most of NXT Portland. I still have um I still got I still got to watch the main event. But say like Balor Gargano and um the the Undisputed Era versus Rosemary Stag. I, I actually I actually really like both of those. But right. Even then, like Pack versus Orange Cassidy and and uh, Hangman and Omega versus the Young Bucks is like it's get, it's getting hard to even say that NXT still has the better in ring, especially if you want to go like go back to like Kenny Omega versus Pack or uh, Hangman and Omega versus the Lucha Bros or even Cody versus Wardlow. It's like that even even the in ring thing is getting like tighter and tighter. Even something like Nyla Rose versus Riho in the rematch for the for the women's title is like. Like I'm not even sure what NXT has the better in ring right now. Yeah, and look at Darby and and Sammy. I mean, yeah. you can compare the kind of the mid or undercard of NXT to the mid kind of undercard guys of of AEW, and they blow them out of the water too. I mean, what would be the comparison? Like recently, there was that that Trevor Lee. Um, uh, who did he wrestle? Was it Di- Dijakovic match that he won? Mm. Um, that was like you know decent, but. Darby and, and Sammy blow that out of the water, you know? So, yeah, I mean, up and down the cards, it's not really even close. And then, yeah, I think AEW swamps them in the quality of what they're putting out as well. So, who the fuck is watching Evolve? <laughs> like, really? Like, no one is watching Evolve. It doesn't even show up on the illegal sites at this I, point. Like, I, like, no I, like I swear is... to you, I, I cannot tell you who the Evolve champion is. Josh, maybe I don't fucking know. Like, how how am I supposed to? Like, know if you this, paid, you like know? if you paid me money, I would. I, I don't think I'd be able to. I really don't think no. I'd be able to tell you who it is. I can't even say for sure, like who's on the roster. Yeah, like, I don't, like, like I don't, I, I, does any Kingston still work of all? Maybe, like maybe. Who knows? He was like the top heel in that that faction or whatever, I guess. But it's like I don't know if he's still there. I have no fucking clue. I have no clue who works Evolve, honestly. Is like, the shark the shark base to work Evolve? <laughs> I hope not, honestly, but who knows, man. It's 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 fucking wild, dude. Um And then the big stuff is just Japan, still with the coronavirus, COVID nineteen stuff. Uh 
basically a lot of promotions taking time off. Wrestle One announcing that they're going on an indefinite hiatus. Um, you know, I mean, that's a Muda thing. The company will close and then come back. And, and, you know, that's historically just how this kind of stuff works. So we'll see what that means long term. But, yeah, I mean, fuck, dude. Like, major, major promotions in Japan are all canceling shows. I mean, not even just wrestling. Like, everything. So talking about the Olympics possibly being canceled at this point. They're starting to think about that. Like, who knows, man? This is this is crazy. This is going to be a huge hit. It's not just a huge hit for the economy of wrestling. I mean, this can be a huge hit for the entire country. So yeah, like, big, like that's the thing is like there. kind of like even like talking about it from a wrestling perspective is kind of short sighted. Like if this right. if this got any bigger, this is like a like nationwide catastrophe for for Japan, um, especially considering how much how much revenue they be get they be getting for the Olympics. Um, which would be like which would be a really good, really big deal for them. Um, yeah, yeah, man. I, I, I all you can do is hope that that thing don't get any more serious. And if you just wanted to look at it from a wrestling perspective, like. Really light, really lightens up the month of uh, month of March. Uh, the New Japan Cup got like, like, like half most of the f- tournament like wiped out. Maybe at least at, yeah. at least at least half of it wiped out. Um, as of right now, officially, yeah, uh, yeah, half uh, of yeah. It's wiped only, out, yeah. But who knows? Only as of right now, this could uh, get even get even more serious. So, if you want to look at look at it from that perspective, uh, even going like like going to like to the independent workers and really like how much how much of those guys really. Uh, those guys and girls really, really, really uh, need those dates. They get this. This this could be a real rough stretch, and all you can all you can hope for is that for for their sake, uh, this thing doesn't get even more serious. Yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot of people who can take a whole month of work off, no matter what your job is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 crazy to think about what that means for someone, for their family, for everything. You know, not everybody is getting paid a guaranteed contract there, and you're just. I don't know. I don't know the Japanese. You know you know welfare system or, or the system for like a you know social good stuff like um unemployment payment and things like that i mean this is a huge huge thing for everyone involved so it's like the entire country's hurting so how fuck it's just it's it's crazy man and for me i work in healthcare you know and it's like we're having a, we have a shortage on masks i need masks to do my job it's like part of my job that i need them right and we can't get them like fuck like that's it's crazy to think of but like yeah this is a uh, this is nuts, man. It's affecting the economy in big ways already, even slightly here. You know, like I said, directly me because I'm, you know, exposed to it working in healthcare. Other people maybe not as much, but, but around the rest of the world, there's places where it is already affecting, you know, the economy in big ways. So, yeah, huge, huge story. Um, yeah, give a shout out to to Corwu, the underscore Corwu for the news notes. That's the news for this week. Quentin, did you have anything you want to hit on, or do you want to just get into AEW? Um, I've done a little, little, little bit of AEW catch up, uh, NXT catch up, and one thing that we can talk about more once we get more into Revolution. Um, and I know other people, other people have, to, have been talking about it, but man, AEW is just whatever changes they made creatively, like behind the scenes, and like whatever like direction changes, and like now like other stuff that was bubbling underneath the surface is now um coming ahead and really coming really reaching its potential, like. This is really, really good wrestling TV and the best wrestling TV. Like, if you want to go back to, like, the first two seasons of Lucha Underground, you probably go back to that. And then if you want to go even further back to, like, summer 2013 uh, Raw, like, that's, like, that's the kind of pace they're firing on right now. And it's just been really refreshing to see, like, 
the new creative stuff we get to see, like um, um like a major wrestling company doing a thirty minute Iron Man match with overtime on like you know on on like on a big network is fucking insane. But it happened and it was really good. And uh, I I, I want to talk about Kenny Omega more uh, in a, a little bit later, but. I'm not sure he isn't the wrestler of the year right now, but we, we, we can talk about that. Yeah. We can talk about that soon. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that before we were starting. It's really interesting where he's at right now compared to the rest of his career um, and just what's going on. But did you watch any of the the buy-in, the pre-show thing? It's mostly a hype video. There was only one match televised. No, I, I did not. I'm, I'm guessing you caught it. I did watch it. Nothing really to report. SCU versus uh, the Dark Order, and they did a tease of the uh, the Exalted One that uh, you know stemmed from Colt Cabana showing up. So Colt Cabana's here. Obviously not a surprise. I think the only surprise is the idea that he's being used in a uh, in a wrestling role because it seemed like there was a, a chance he'd be a commentator. But now with Taz, I think they have already have too many commentators really um, for for the amount of product that they produce, but they are also going to get another show. So we'll go from there and see kind of what moves forward. Um, and I, and I wouldn't argue with, with that choice. Honestly, if you were, had the choice between Colt Cabana or Taz as a commentator and knowing that you can still use Colt as an in-ring wrestler, it's kind of a, a no brainer. Go with Taz. He's fucking great. I mean, me and you, we've, I think we've talked about it a little bit. Um, not, on the podcast but like i think we're both pretty staunch like taz was always a good commentator guy like i i i've always enjoyed him mm. and thought that he brought something cool to to it even the stuff that people kind of shit on from the tna era i'm just kind of yeah, like I, I he, I, that was his role yeah, I thought, like, we, we talked we had the thing before from about kill commentators and i was talking about how i never really liked bobby heenan like we we both agreed that like jesse ventura for us was like the standard bearer of a heel commentator and then like taz is right there yeah one of the few good and he was he didn't have to be a heel he was good as a babyface too but right. he was good as a heel and then part of it was because he had the same energy he wasn't over the top as a heel and he just kind of delivered the same things and kind of talked just looked at things basically in a way that was a little bit more forgiving to making you know bad choices or whatever um there was i would say there was a little bit of time where he was kind of like part of main event mafia kind of that was kind of the worst of that i've never been a fan of of commentators that are directly referenced to being part of a stable oh, like yeah. gino oh, yeah. well, bishop bischoff nwo like yeah i liked um cyrus would do that with with kenny omega and the elite and and bullet club but it reminded me even of his kind of character uh, Don Callis, I call him mm. Cyrus. His character when he was Cyrus in ECW, where he was like doing the office thing, and it was kind of like over the years you find out that like the way that that storyline was supposed to go was that he was not actually part of the network. He was just a guy who was saying that, and and you know basically it was fooling people into believing that he had any kind of power. I kind of got the same vibe from him there, where it was like it felt like he was he was just a stooge that was pretending and sucking up to the young bucks and the elite, but he wasn't really part of the group. Um, uh, unlike like Gino, I don't know if you've heard any Gino Gambino commentary, but he's like, you know, a hundred percent confirmed member of the bullet club. Yeah. And it's just not the same thing. It doesn't work the same for me. I don't like a commentator who's actually in the heel faction that he's commentating about, but either way, um, 
So you got Colt Cabana as a wrestler. You've got the tease of the Exalted One, but it doesn't pay off with anything of Chris Daniels. He's still with SCU. So we'll see where they go with this kind of SCU and Colt Cabana team. It seems interesting um, sticking all the kind of ROH guys together. Um, I guess, speaking of, did you catch any of the, the recent ROH stuff that just happened? Uh, title, Big championship title change. Yeah, I, and, I, I uh, saw that. Did, did Roosh win the title back? He did. Decent match. Three-way with him, PCO, and Haskins. I just watched it a little bit before we recorded. Did, I mean, it was did, quick. Did Haskins take the fall? Uh, no. PCO takes the fall. Ooh. Yeah. What? Roosh, Roosh beats PCO relatively clean. He hits that, that corner dropkick thing that he likes to do. He hits that. Wins the title. Um, go off the air with him having the championship commentator commentary talking about how him and, and uh, Dragon Lee have the belts. Um, so, yeah. I mean... Pretty uh, pretty interesting. I guess with all the kerfuffle and everything that was going on with contract stuff, um, they put the belt on PCO to to kind of be sure that no, their champion wasn't going anywhere, but it seems like it was a hiccup because they wanted to go back to Roosh now that they kind of feel like they have him more more solid um, moving forward. So so that was interesting. Um, I guess I was just thinking about that because of this like, kind of weird old man ROH stable that they seem to be putting together. Um, and then speaking of old men, <laughs> the opening match from uh, AEW Revolution is Jake Hager versus the ultimate old man in Dusty Rhodes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Dusty, yeah, du- Dustin Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes came back from the dead. Yes, no, no, the natural Dustin Dust Rhodes. Um, decent stuff for what it was. It's, you know, Hager doesn't look great. I don't why know if this, he quite why, knows. Why did this go so long? <laughs> Went way too long. The stuff with the wife, the stuff with even with Dustin, you know, kissing the wife, it's like from a, a different era. It feels like Hager doesn't know what he's what he is anymore, especially not right now. I think, yeah, the stuff with the wife was confusing. His wrestling style is confusing. It just it doesn't to me. It do, it just seems like he doesn't know what his character is. He doesn't get it, and he's he's been fine when he's got the security blanket of just kind of being standing there with with you know the inner circle and especially with Jericho. But out here on his own, he just kind of he seems out of place, and I just. I think he needs. They need to figure out what his character is, especially if he's going to be wrestling. You know, they they need to know who he is as a wrestler. This definitely went too long. It definitely seemed like it didn't have much of a focus. And then, yeah, after the whole match and everything that happens, the finish with the the standing triangle choke was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like I'm just not, you know, just not into it. Uh, it just felt kind of out of nowhere. I get that you're trying to play off the MMA thing, but it didn't feel like I said it didn't feel like he really played off of the MMA thing for the rest of the match. So it really felt kind of tacked on like it was just, you know, let's just do this MMA gimmick thing because that's, you know, you're you're fighting as the finish. It didn't yeah, just I don't know, it just didn't seem like there was a big investment and a clear identity on what this character is supposed to be. And this match felt like it was you know, there was a little bit of a build, but it wasn't really a huge match so it's kind of like tacked on. It was almost like you could have just cut this match. Um or just had something else in this spot that would have been I guess, I guess, a more I, featured act, again, especially like, like, like I would say I think Darby versus Sammy was a, was a hotter match than uh, Hager versus Dustin going into it. And I would have gave at least like five minutes of what like five minutes off of uh, Hager and Dustin to put to put on the Darby and Sammy. Right. I can't say that anything else on this show needed a lot more time, but you could have given yeah you could have given. Darby and Sammy a little bit more time and then maybe had you know almost anything else you could have done something with uh because they did have um Penelope Ford in like a dark dark match that wasn't even on the pre-show but you could have had something with um with the this is super bad I can't think of his name Kip Sabian 
Kip Sabian or something because he's been a focus on the TV and then he's just not on the pay-per-view, you know? You could have given him something on here or done something. So, yeah, I, I think that this really felt tacked on and didn't need to be on the show, really. Yeah, I thought, I mean, it's fine for, like, what it is and Hager, like, probably shouldn't be actually, like, wrestling anymore and, you know, Dustin Rose, a bunch of people love him. Like, he's very clearly on his last legs and he's, he's, he's still fine. He has his burst, but... He's very much on his last leg still, so I, I have no clue what they were thinking with this getting this much time. Uh, yeah, Darby versus Sammy, fuck though, that was that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, this was that was awesome, and I thought that Sammy really showed off what he's great at, which is being able to be spectacular while still being a shit eating heel. Um, you get this amazing babyface performance from Darby, obviously. That's like, it's so funny to think like I think on any other show this would have been the best babyface underdog, you know, face in peril performance of the night easily but you know later on you get like some amazing face and peril work on this show just because just to show like the the quality of fucking wrestlers that they have but yeah i mean loved the the stuff with the the fujiwara and and darby grabbing the other arm to to counter it and um, darby biting the hand just like yeah the tenaciousness the way that darby wrestles is fucking phenomenal uh the the, the pace in it and you know, me and you, me and you're both Sammy Guevara fans, and I think we can both say that like the last couple of years, he hasn't really gotten to show off like and really grow as much because we thought he was like boom, like he was gonna be like one of those next guys, like possible like PWG champion kind of guy, and it never got there. And they've been taking their time with him in AEW, but this is one of those times where you look at Sammy and you're like, oh, like you look at you look at Darby and, every, and everyone sort of like pegs Darby as like, oh yeah, like that's the guy eventually when they decide to pull the trigger on it, and. Sammy Guevara's right there with them because clearly they really, really like Sammy. And whenever he gets the chance, I think he's going to be spectacular. Yeah, I mean, clearly they do because even early on it seemed like he was being, you know, put with Cody. He was going to be, you know, Cody's guy. And then it was like that split off and then they put together the inner circle and he's in there. And with, you know, whatever's happening here, we'll, you know, talk about with the main event, but the, the rumors about Jericho going on tour, possibly being away, what happens with the inner circle and do they need to have a focused singles act, you know, with Jericho out? And what, could that end up being Sammy? Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked it's, if it's, over it's, the summer. It's no, it's no coincidence that, like, Sammy is, 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 is like it's always, like, sort of, like, placed as the Jericho's little brother. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, coming out of that, um, the AEW World Tag Team title match. I'll let you, I, I think you should get into this because I know that you, I think you like it a little bit more than me. That's not to say I don't like it, but... I think that there's a camp of people that are saying this is like the best tag team match in the in the history of U.S. soil or something, <laughs> greatest match of all time type talk. And I don't know. I mean, I know that you really liked it, but I, do you see it at that level? Uh, no. Um, Hangman Page and Kenny Omega versus the Young Bucks. I was really excited for this. This has been a genuinely really well told, really um, well escalated story. Um, the teasing of Kenny and Hangman of like the dysfunction in their team and eventually like they like have become a really solid team that picks up that picks up legitimate victories in the sort of bubbling tension between them or, or, or between like Hangman and the Young Bucks and um when you when it first started you kind of thought of it and you, I mean you can tell me I'm wrong here you can back me up whatever you want but when it first started you're kind of thinking that Hangman's the one that's going to be a heel here because He's the one that's being standoffish. He's like, even if he has a good point in why he's being this way, he's the one that's being standoffish and uh, you know not just not trying to uh, you know make up and be all cool with his friends. 
But then that little sit-down interview segment happens. And when Hangman snaps, you kind of see, like, the Bucks' true colors. Like, that we made you. We're the ones that brought you in here. You were nothing before you met us. And that kind of stuff. And that completely changes the tone of this of this entire dynamic. Because then you have the Bucks getting legitimate heat. Which, like, god damn, when's the, when's, like, when's the last time that happened? And, like, people will say, and, like, we can go, like, obviously we know, like, PWG years back like, right. like they like they would get like real genuine heat but there was no like let's go young bucks chance like at all there was nothing this was especially down especially down down the line this was pure unadulterated heat towards the young bucks and i got i like that little i like that little swerve there i like that little swerve of you kind of think that hangman is the antagonist and he's the one that's causing all these issues. But then, but then you see the real colors of the Bucks, and the Bucks sort of like so are sort of the ones that take take this thing to the next level. Uh, as far as as far as the match itself, like this is like everything that I would think that you want out of modern tag team wrestling. If you want the big nutty uh, nutty spots, it's it's all it's all over the place, and it is really well escalated. If you want the really layered and multi-dimensional storytelling, there's the working of of Matt, of Matt Jackson's back, which has been a common theme for the last couple of years in the Young Bucks tags. There's the sort of apprehension to go at each other the way they really should go at each other in this big stakes title match. But then Hangman spits on Matt, and they and again they just go at it because Hangman clearly is. He, he he's not he's not in that same headspace of being of being reluctant the same way that like Kenny might be with the Bucks, and you know from Nick Jackson telling Matt Jackson to cool it and the way Kenny Omega would tell Hangman to cool it. There's a whole bunch of tension between tag team partners, and eventually Kenny and Hangman are on the, are are completely on the same page. The Bucks are completely on the same page. Um, the the Matt Jackson's performance here after. Hangman spits on him. He just loses his shit. He's a dastardly, evil variant of Matt Jackson that we haven't seen in a really long time. And Hangman, despite the fact that he's the he's the loner, he's the standoffish guy in, in between the four, he turns in this really incredible babyface performance, where like he is maybe the most over guy in the company. And like, I want I want to close off by talking talking about Kenny Omega, so I'm not gonna. Um, talk talk about him too much now, but man, like I just, I didn't I didn't see the hype for it before I started before I watched the match, and I left this completely blown away. And despite the, like, my expectations of, oh yeah, Kenny and Hangman have been a really good team, and the Young Bucks, I think are the best team ever. Like, oh, this should be really good. Like this completely exceeded my expectations. It's like if you wanted to say that it's better than the Golden Lovers versus Young Bucks tag, I wouldn't I wouldn't bat an eye at you. Uh, I probably prefer the lovers tag, but this is very much in that same ballpark. Yeah, definitely. I can definitely see that, and I think that part of it too is is just get get a lot more out of out of Paige here uh, when it comes to the kind of emotion and the drama. Oh, and um, there's 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 callbacks to the to the to the gold lovers tag when like right. you see that you see the young bucks getting more and more heelish, and what do they do? They they sit there and mock Kenny Omega and do the and do the golden trigger to him like. It, it's I, I, it's it's really in that same ballpark, man. 
Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it is clearly meant to be a almost like a rematch, a spiritual successor to that match, yeah. without any doubt. And it's like, I, it's really smart of them to do that because it helps add to the psychology and the storytelling of the match a ton. Um, you said like what you want out of modern tag team wrestling, and I think that that's really true. I could definitely see the arguments, and I can hear the voice in my head of people like they don't follow the tag rules, they don't follow the Southern tag structure in any way, and I think that people think that you know that structure and that style works so well why would you not always do it but not every tag team match has to be structured that way and just because it works out well a lot of times doesn't mean that that's the only way to do a tag team match and so the way they do this here i just yeah i I, the way that things escalated the the way that page has really come into his own as a fiery baby face here i mean this the kind of the sequence that sets up where you talk about him spitting it matt where it's like he he hits this really fiery babyface comeback. He's like altered a lot of his moves to be even more like kind of impressive as a baby babyface. And then he's got Matt or he's got Nick where he wants him. He throws Nick into the corner to tag out because he wants to fight Matt. And it's just like he's just got this standing tall, big, proud, badass who wants to he just wants to prove his point and you know beat these guys ass especially matt for the shit that he talked and i thought it was interesting because i've heard the takeaway of people saying that those interviews the interview didn't make any sense why would the young books be acting like that and i and i get the idea that like if you're only watching AEW, maybe you don't see it but i think that the, the character of the young bucks has always been they're not lovable baby faces they're kind of jerks they always have been jerks they're more than willing to is this, be is this thin, kind of, is this thin veneer where it's like even when even even when they are like scrappy lovable baby faces like they're they're they're, they're assholes and they really yeah. like, and they think that they're like the reasons why everything is here and everything is happening everything works so you, like and again like they'll, you know drink every time you hear this word but like it really subverts what your expectation was like you really think that hangman is like what what's, what what's hangman's problem why is he doing this and that but then you understand what his problem is. It's this. It's this shit right here. That Hangman has busted his ass and done all this work. And then the one time he does something, the biggest accomplishment in his career, these guys are still showing him up. So he looks crazy. And then it's like, well, well we, we made you. Why are you acting this way? You wouldn't be anything without us. Now you see Hangman's point, And now it's like, okay, Hangman, I want to see you knock Matt Jackson's fucking head off. <laughs> right. And it's not even, you know, it's it's not even just that. It's like the details that they've done to like follow the way that this organically grew and not just sticking with like the, you know, the bullhead of this is what we want to do stuff was like done really well because they even kind of did the callback to it like just a few weeks ago of Hangman trying to leave the elite basically. Like online on the show, he was saying that he wasn't a part of the, the elite anymore and that he's not involved in the But they kind of didn't let him leave. And he even references that. And, like, the fact that at the time that felt, like, weird. It was so awkward. It was like, why did they, like, tease that he's leaving the group, but then he didn't really leave the group, and now he's the tag team champions with Kenny, and it's like, it feels like he's still... And then to have it, like, play into the way that this story is going, when at the time it felt so random and weird and, like, it didn't make any sense and it was confusing. And it's the same thing where it's like, the hangman thing felt like okay well they're gonna just turn him heel because he's not getting over as a babyface that they want he's got a track record of being a good heel the country direct stable or tag team with with cory hollis they were really good heels or, or, you, um, or, even, or, or even in the decade um with uh, yeah. with, with, with whitmer and everything yeah so he's got it he's got the history of being able to be a heel so maybe okay we turn him heel and we can kind of re-spark some of that and get get him interesting again because he's not working as a babyface and then 
that clearly changes when he gets over with this whole thing, and they they go with it. So, and the way that they take all that stuff and organically like weave it into the storytelling, and they've done super well. And this match was just like the delivering on all of that, and you come out of it, and and you know the, the Kenny Omega talk, I think is like you said, is definitely a big thing to get into. But you come out of it with these guys feeling like a big deal, and and they're actually really establishing this tag team titles and this tag team division in a great way that like when SCU won the belts and it felt like the whole stuff with the dark order had gone wrong. And then the titles, it was like, well, what the fuck? Like this tag team titles were supposed to be able to main event. You know, they talked about that and it doesn't feel like they're getting there. And now, it, Hey, maybe we're getting there. Um, it's, um, I thought it was interesting too, how like, like the little, like the other little knives they put in here, uh, hangman, hangman does the whole Marty, uh, spin around taunt thing into the chicken wing and like that's kind of, like that's one of those like little cutesy things that in a lot of other matches it's like oh, like why are you doing that that makes that makes no sense but like for me I, I get it just like sort of like in an antagonistic way like hangman being like yeah here's another guy that you get that you guys drove away from the elite i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do i'm gonna do his i'm gonna do his move to you guys like he left you guys because you guys want to like take all the credit too so I'm gonna do that, and then even um, down the stretch, as Kenny gets taken out, and Hangman comes in, and he has to take he has to take care of things himself. And Hangman Hangman does his one winged angel, and uh, whoever it is, Matt Jack Matt Jackson or whoever it is, Nick kicks out, and Hangman like you know even even though the one winged angel is the most protected move in a in AEW. That doesn't that doesn't get it done because it's not Hangman. That's not who he is. He gets it done with his own move, the Buckshot, and you know, reminded me of that G One Finals um with Omega and Goto, where Omega went through that whole lineage of Bullet Club finishes. He did the uh, Bloody Sunday and the Styles Clash, and it got this big crazy near fall reaction. But what gets it done is his, uh, is his own move, and I like the fact that Hangman got it done with his own move to prove the point that like he doesn't need to be in your guys' shadow anymore. He's not the little brother. He can take care of himself. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting to think what could have happened, what would have happened if if he had gotten over early on in a different way, and they had, he had been the first champion or whatever. That it just I don't know that the crowd would be as invested in him as they are now. The crowd really, really are into Hangman, and I heard people even saying he there was times in this match where he felt like he was the most over guy in the match with it being. You know, the two, you know, the Young Bucks and, and Kenny Omega being like EVPs, cornerstones of the company, the, the elite, basically. They're the original elite that this whole thing is named after. And like, there's times throughout the match where it felt like Paige was a bigger star. The crowd was more into him than anybody else in the match. This, this, so. this is the perfect example of like using your star power to help somebody else. And I think the Young Bucks were kind of got it wrong. And like, in, like, early, like earlier on, is that. It was, like it's not a wrong decision to want to put over a private party and, lo- and lose to them in the first round of the tag team tournament. Or like you're not wrong to lose to the Lucha Bros or wrong to lose to SCU. But you should be more like sparingly and, like, and careful in who you give those wins to and who you give those moments to. Because imagine if they were and then you, and then you get this kind of moment like this where Hagman finally gets this big monkey off his back and he's the one that vanquishes the Young Bucks. Then like then it's even bigger, and it was like, it it feels like a big deal already, but this is sort of like where like the young bucks like being like too selfless and maybe too afraid of what people would have thought of them winning too much came back came back into play. Because imagine if like the young bucks only had like that only had like two losses coming into this, and and hang and hangman just handed them another one, and 
it's 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 really it's really good booking and going going back to Kenny 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 the Kenny in in this year so far man he's really stepped it up something that I remember us talking about um our problem James he's talking about when we were, when he was popped up in the Slack chat talking about this is that Kenny just on Dynamite didn't feel like he belonged and this was around the around the Moxley feud and it feels like Ken it feel like Kenny just didn't really belong on Dynamite but since finding his legs with this hangman stuff and being in these tag matches consistently having the brooding feud with uh, with Pat with Pat going on that eventually just concluded with the 30 minute Iron Man Kenny Omega's been on fire and I was someone I was thinking maybe like the time was over for Kenny as this uh this big like wrestler of the year candidate guy but he's gotten some new life here and I'm not sure that Kenny isn't the best wrestler in the world going right this second yeah no and and that's definitely because of the you know he's lucky that he's positioned the way he is but it it is that's what I was kind of mentioning that it just it's so odd to think about the 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 ebbs and flow of his career going from you know this hugely vaunted you know free agent that signs with New Japan and then gets like you know bubbling underneath to me having repeatedly having the best match on the show and the junior you know for the junior championship getting overlooked people thinking like what the fuck was the point? <laughs> like, why did he leave DDT to come to New Japan and be the junior champion? It doesn't make any sense. He slowly starts putting things together. It feels like it takes longer than I think a lot of people expected it would just because of how talented everyone knew he was and how much charisma he really had. But they decided to stick with this story of him being a heel and he's in Bullet Club and he's playing this foreign character that refuses to speak English, you know, Japanese to the crowd to get over even. Um, and then he eventually becomes the guy and he gets to the point where like he's talked about like there's absolutely no question that he's the greatest wrestler on the planet his matches continuously get these insane ratings from Meltzer all this stuff and then it just like all completely dies down and disappears and then somehow the guy who historically has been nothing but fanfare nothing but people talking about him nothing but everyone really like critiquing his every little thing he's just been completely under the radar he's just like Nobody even talks about if they do talk about him, they're a little bit derisive of like, why isn't he a bigger star? Why aren't they treating him like a big deal? Why is he, you know, losing so much? Why is he nothing? Oh, every now and then he has okay matches. But then when you start looking at it, he's putting together this resume where he's having these phenomenal matches. And it's so interesting to see a guy who's always been such a lightning rod and always such like a point of contention that for people to constantly talk about and pick everything apart, he's just like he doesn't seem like he has any buzz. He doesn't feel like anybody's talking about him, but he's having these phenomenal performances. And especially because he gets to be here, the tag, you know, the tag team champion and having the singles matches like the stuff, like the Ironman match with Pac. So it's just, it's very interesting to see a guy. He's getting all the opportunities to do tag singles. He's really doing exactly what I think people were saying that they thought he should have been doing in AEW, which is to be the star. But AEW is showing this real, like, depth of roster where they have their stars like compartmentalized in a way where it's like you know Cody's the heart the the heart and soul of the company he's the the biggest drama storytelling you know rah 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 you know Dusty Rhodes he's the American dream that's his his thing then you've got Jericho as the biggest star the guy who you know gets the best ratings cuts the best promos everyone pays attention to you got Moxley He's the, the rebel badass that everyone wants to cheer for. And then now you've got Kenny becoming the work rate. He's the best wrestler which, in the company. Which, He's which, the guy. which he always should have been. And it's like, right. I don't know I don't know what it was in the, in the early stages of that. I don't know if Kenny was hurt. 
I don't know. They were just like, you know, trying to save some of that stuff. But like Kenny should have been that guy already. And I'm just glad that like they realized it sooner rather than later because Kenny is such a valuable guy. Like even if Kenny isn't even if Kenny isn't your top champion, Kenny is a Kenny is a guy that's always going to guarantee you like some eyes being generated towards that match, towards the product because a big Kenny Omega match is something that people are going to seek out. And that's that, that's that's just a guaranteed thing. So it it always just made no sense to me to see that Kenny was so like was feeling like he wasn't emphasized so much on the TV. So obviously with these tag titles, that's that's been that's been a little different here. The fact that he got to do the Iron Man and uh, you know that few with Pack uh, closing up, but yeah, Ken, I hope I hope Kenny keeps his pace up, man. I'm I'm really pleasantly surprised to see that Kenny uh, jump jump out ahead the way he has. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, they've got these these stars that feel like they're siloed off where you can argue that each one of them is actually the biggest star, the top guy, the ace of the promotion, because they've all got their lane where they are the best at whatever thing they are. And so it's it's really smart. And it's just like, God, damn, like you haven't seen a wrestling company pull something like this off in so long where they can have they don't have to be just interacting with each other. It's not like New Japan where you've got like the big four and the big four just wrestle each other constantly like. These guys, for the most part, are all babyfaces. Jericho's the only one that's a heel. And then, like, they don't really feel like they're in competition with each other. They're all just very good at what they do, and they're separate. So it's, like, it's very interesting to see them pull that off, especially because it just makes the whole product seem like it's just packed with big-time stars, basically, um, which is really fucking cool. Um, Follow that up, AEW women's title match. Nyla Rose defending the title against Chris Statlander. Um, I heard a lot of negative reviews on this. Maybe some people saying, like, at best, it's just okay. And I don't I don't necessarily get it. I don't. I wouldn't call it, like, a match of the year contender, but I thought, comparatively, it wasn't, like, somehow the clear worst match on the show, anything like that. And, like, I think that there was some stuff that came across a little bit clunky, but in a way that made sense for the context of that it's this beast versus a big bruiser type in in chris statlander and i think that maybe part of it is like people don't people aren't used to seeing female wrestlers have this kind of match and so stuff like like statlander getting thrown into the ropes from the from the 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 runway and going through the ropes and then back around and then coming out through a dive where where uh nyla kind of does the samoa joe just like kind of walk off when she crash and burns like i could see people seeing that and being like oh that looked bad and sloppy and it's like yeah because it's kind of supposed to and like it's telling the story of like big you know big bruisers battling it out fighting it out so there was a lot of stuff but like even the finish i heard people talking about like oh her legs were in the wrong positions and it made it i'm like she pulled off this giant fucking beast bomb from the middle rope and it looked like it fucking crushed her and it just looked aggressive and violent like two badasses killing each other and if it was two dudes i don't think you get the same this is sloppy, they're green, this isn't good talk. You get them more like, oh, this looked like a fight. Because it really did. I thought throughout the entire match this looked like a real badass, kick-ass fight. And I was thinking about Statlander's history, and I'm like, Statlander even, I was like, you know, is she really used to wrestling someone like Nyla? But she kind of is. Because Statlander always wrestled with, you know, she wrestled with a lot of guys. And even when she wrestled, I remember, like, her match with Bear Bronson, someone who she trained with, she even wrestled that, like, very similar to this. She didn't just play the underdog smaller wrestler. She still plays, like, a powerhouse going up a, a, up against a bigger opponent um, the same way that she did here. So, 
I thought that there was a lot of cool stuff. I really liked the hand walk off the rope thing. I thought that that was a cool, quirky little spot that showed off not just, like, uh, you know, something weird about uh, Statlander's personality, but also, like, her athleticism. Um, like I said, I really enjoyed the finish. I thought that Nyla working the STF throughout the match looked really looked really tight and really brutal. Like, there was a lot to like here, and I just think it's crazy to hear people talking about this like it was this terrible match. I don't know. What did, what did you think of it, Quentin? Yeah, I mean, like... One for sure. You can't talk about this match without without acknowledging the difficult spot they were in. This is coming off of uh, the longest match in the show, in the most um, in the match people were the most emotionally invested in on the show. In the, that that is a difficult spot. So if any if you're someone where uh, crowd participation and crowd investment and crowd heat like really fucks with you when it comes to wrestling, like. You, you like th- like that's a big part of why this might not have connected but yeah this the work here was perfectly fine and i like the story here so to me it definitely comes down to the fact of like this coming right after the uh this big 30 minute epic tag team clash and then here they are working this dynamic based off like size and size and strength and chris lander chris Atlander working up the size the, the working up the strength to do certain spots and how she can manage nyla rose and yeah, I don't know, man. I think I think people should maybe go back and give this one a fair a fair chance. It's like how I thought about like certain like Bailey and Alexa Bliss matches where like people kind of shat on them, but I'm like, if you watch it like just like by itself in isolation and not after this really great match yeah. happened, like it's a good match. Just like just like try to, but like, but again, it's gonna be one of those things where people just sort of shit on it. And I think it's it it probably it didn't deserve that. Yeah, it was in a tough, very tough spot, but I think that they delivered, and I think the idea that that the issue here was that they were too green and doing stuff that they couldn't handle. I think is fucking ridiculous. Cause even that spot, like I did, you know, did hear people mentioning that the beast bomb off the top was not set up properly and all this. It's like, it came off without a hitch. So to say that like the issue is she's too green. I mean, she was in a bad situation, but she made it work. So you can't really say like, Oh no, they're too green to pull this stuff off. She pulled it off. And that kind of shows poise to not, like, completely blow the spot just because your legs were positioned wrong. Like, Nyla Rose pulled it off still. So, what the fuck is the argument there? Like, because you think that she didn't set it up right to begin with? Well, it came out okay. And again, like, it's in a tough, very tough spot on the card. But I thought that they really executed the match they were doing. And it's really a fucking bummer because this could have been a big showcase match. But it really wasn't treated like such. I think that the title switch really felt out of nowhere recently when Nyla won the title. This match had very little build-up to, to getting to it. Poor Chris Statlander was involved in that shitty-ass Nightmare Collective angle that got just completely nixed, so right, yeah, you know, she, people she, aren't, she, aren't even invested like, in yeah, her. So she has to, like, work her way back up after dealing with that stuff, like... Yeah, so I just, I think this match was in a really shitty position, and it sucks that it was a women's match, and that it's, again, like, I think that people... I think if you have, you know, two dudes, you know, have this kind of match two like bigger brawlier kind of guys you have like you know black taurus or something and i don't know whoever else having this match like people are talking about it like it was it kicked ass you know oh it looked like a fight but i just think that i don't think that a lot of wrestling fans are like used to giving women's match that same kind of frame of reference and saying like it looked like a, a badass fight um so yeah uh coming out of that we go into mjf cody rhodes um gotta say probably the most disappointing big cody match so far to me um the match i thought was good but it wasn't it just didn't hit the levels that cody's matches have yeah it's just, um, like, interesting like, like, um, like the way it was worked just didn't 
for me, didn't feel like it fit how they built the whole thing. Is is I, I I know that I know that again they have another match in them obviously based off how the finish went. Yeah, but you know you, even with you like like trying to save stuff for the for the real big blow off, like I thought you could have did more there. Yeah, or even or even or even if you're not right, like even if you're not, even if um, you know, you you didn't want you didn't really didn't want to do more at all for this. Then why is it still going twenty four minutes? Then like cut half the time in if you're gonna like you know really save it for like a real a real big event. Right, you don't want to you don't want to have Cody. I mean, and you got the out too because you're, you're doing a gimmick finish, so it's not like it makes Cody look bad to lose quicker. He he, he, like he, he, he was just in the cage match where he was where he was bleeding all over the place. Like you have an yeah. easy out here if you wanted to do a shorter shorter match. So my only thing there is like I get the booking, I understand the idea, but. If you're gonna go for that, then why not just go for the shorter match and then like, I don't know. Again, like give like give more time to something else, or don't give more time to anything else, and like just just get out of there because 24 minutes for um, a match where like they're not really do get, giving too much other than MJF bleeding. Like, I, I don't I don't know, man. You, you I could have done I could have done without I could have done with less time. Yeah, I mean, well, just like we talked about cutting the first match, shortening this match up. Adding a little extra to Darby and Sammy, and I think you easily could fit another match on here for, you know, another another act that you've been focusing on on TV to get a chance on the big yeah, show. Yeah, cool. Get, 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 get Britt Baker on this show. Like, yeah. Why was Britt Baker not on here? She could have even she could have even just done a promo. Like she didn't even have to wrestle. You could have done a lot of different things with this time, and, and instead you kind of gave a little bit too much to this, a little bit too much to the opening match. Whatever. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, there was some stuff to like, you know, the gimmick finish. To me, I I said it at the time when I was watching it live, I wish it was a little bit more over the top. I, I think that you should be playing to the cheap seats, and that was a pretty subtle kind of gimmick to finish with to where it was kind of hard, I think, for everyone in the building and everyone in the crowd watching to instantly get what the story was. And I like the idea that you're telling the story of, you know, of this ring has been introduced. It was the, was it the Diamond Dozen ring or whatever that he won from some Battle Royal or something. Um, get to play off of all of that, but you know you got to go to that Jerry Lawler school of of really sh- making the gimmick look big, like huge motions. You know, make that uh, make it reach out to the the cheap seats so they see what's going on because it felt like it was kind of out of nowhere. It was interesting too because all the Cody matches, all the big Cody matches, have had Cody bleeding. Um, pretty much every one of them, and then this one MJF bleeds. Didn't wouldn't have necessarily completely expected that. Um, so you know, and it also it honestly in a lot of ways didn't really make sense with the story. Um, but I guess it kind of did. MJF is supposed to be the chicken shit coward. Cody's, you know, the tougher going after him guy. But it just felt like, you know, Cody's the underdog baby face that the crowd loves. So if, if someone's going to get the blood and get the sympathy, I feel like it should be Cody. And if MJF is going to bleed, I think it sh- you should do double juice and have both guys bleed, really. Um, just because uh, uh, I, uh, I think they're probably saving. I think they're probably saving that. Um, right. Um, for for the for the real for the real big match here. But for me, it's just like. Again, and I understand. Yeah, I understand MJF's role in that. Like, he clearly isn't on Cody's level, and Cody, like, once he got like a like a real legitimate chance to put his hands on him, he beat the shit. He beat the shit out of him. But I kind of want MJF to feel more dangerous than he does. And I understand, like, for the purposes of for this match, like, he had to he had to get his ass kicked. So so it shows you that Cody was the better man. But MJF just used a cheap tactic. But I, I want MJF to feel a little bit more dangerous than this. Down, 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 at least, at least at some point down the line. Definitely, I think that people make the comparison to to, to um, Roddy Piper sometimes to him, and I think that what he misses from Roddy Piper a lot is that 
that element of danger, unpredictability, and just that he could, you know, he's he's cunning and he's he's shitty and he's snidely, but he's also very cunning and that makes him very dangerous. And you don't get that from MJF at all. He like um, he like he has really good facial expressions to come across as a dangerous guy. Like like if he ever if he ever did a segment where like oh my god MJF like just snapped like. He has the facial expressions and, like, the vocal projection when, like, talking shit to people where if he did it, like, it's like, a, oh, wow, that was kind of an uncomfortable thing. But just right now, he's not that guy. And I'm wondering if, like, if a switch is going to flip and they'll, like, really present MJF as, like, this real, like, dangerous threat to Cody and not sort of just, like, this pain in the ass. Right. No, exactly. And, like, stuff like him, you know, hugging Cody and, and trying to play off like he's trying to uh, you know, get the sympathy before, you know taking a cheap shot was like a good thing to kind of show off that dangerousness as well but yeah just you know he's devious and shitty but yeah he just doesn't feel like a major threat um well well, well, so well, from, well let me oh, ask does this like does this hurt your expectations for like their eventual for their for their future matches or like are you still like, sort of like really excited for what like the end of this could look like you know i think it'll be fun and i think that it's the thing that they've been doing really well is that they they're doing good tv so as long as they continue to build the heat on the TV and it's enjoyable segments on TV, that's really all that matters. You know, I, I think that it's really easy to get caught up in this whole like concept of work rate and the big matches have to produce, you know, for it to be worthwhile. But like, really, they don't. If they're able to continue with angles and get heat and tell stories between these two that are, that are really interesting and get you excited, the matches can be, you know, this bad or worse and it doesn't really fucking matter. Um, that said, I think that they'll do something a lot bigger you know with some kind of gimmick and and even more smoke and mirrors so i do think that they'll have a better match you know the next time that they that they wrestle so i it does not make me worried because i do know that this was pretty basic and they didn't go over the top and i think that they cody has shown a propensity to go over the top so and do it pretty well so i think that yeah the next match will have a lot more you know hoopla and will make it a lot better all right, then we can. Uh, what about what about you? What about you coming out of it? Are you excited to see them wrestle again at all? I, th- I think so too. Like again, I think MJF is a guy that's gonna like thrive on like blow off matches. So something like this isn't gonna be his wheelhouse. But like, I I really I I I do have faith that in a situation where like maybe they're even like the match that gets the most time on a show, like they're gonna deliver. And yeah, you know, and obviously like Cody's in enough where like you kind of have to trust him at this point. But I think I think MJF he's gonna he he for me he strikes me as a guy that very much is going to take advantage of the spotlight if he's given it if he's given if he's given it. So if he is gonna be told like, hey, you guys are the match on the show, you're the only match with a stipulation, you're the only match with a gimmick, you're the you're the guy you guys are getting the most time on the show, go out there and make something out of it. Like I I believe that he's a guy that's gonna take advantage of uh, you know like the brass ring being put in front of him. So, right. you know, from that perspective, I'm still, I'm still excited, but I guess for me, like, I kind of knew, like, this wasn't going to be, like, the definitive performance from either guy. No, definitely not. Um, so, yeah, follow that up, and this is the match I kind of hinted at earlier um, with the phenomenal babyface performance that just, like, unfortunately overshadowed Darby's phenomenal babyface performance. You get Pack versus um, Orange Cassidy. Um, I mean, fuck great heel performance from pack also pack, what did you think of this match is, <laughs> um we learned about it with like when we did the wrestler of the year podcast but like yeah i don't even know what you can say about pack at this point we we 
we'll talk about Kenny, we'll talk about Moxley, we'll talk about Jericho and Cody and like how well those guys have done so far. Like Pack is flawless. Like I like, I can straight up tell you that I don't think Pack has been in a match that has not been at least very good since right. Dynamite since, since Dynamite's inception, since he started showing up in AEW, like he is out of this world right now. And like when you when you see this on paper, some people who haven't seen Orange Orange Cassidy wrestle will sort of like I like eye roll that, but not yeah, man. When I, when I saw this, I I, I knew what the, what we were getting into, and yeah, other like obviously you you, you nailed it right in the head there. Amazing heel performance from Pack. The way he was, he was perplexed by by Cassidy, the his aggression towards him. The way he got fed up with him towards the end, I, I loved all of it. But you know, my God, like Cassidy is a legitimate fucking star. And listening to Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, of course, straight up saying that I've never seen Orange Cassidy wrestle in a singles match, or just being like being straight, being straight, <laughs> being straight up with that stuff. And then as the match is going on, and like it gets beyond the shtick, and they're watching him work. You can sense them being like both like holy shit, this guy's actually really fucking good. Like you can like like Tony and, and Jr. have this thing where if they actually like what they're talking about, then you'll see the passion and like uh and like some of like the I guess the quote like like some of the good commentary that's left in them will start will start to see will start to seep out. And they were blown away by Cassidy, especially like his connection with the crowd and. I know, I know. Effie had had said something, said something like this before, but there really is a market where Cassidy could be the biggest star in AEW. Like he's 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 a guy where um the so like the one of the clips of him doing his no hand dive went you know quote unquote viral, and people who don't watch wrestling saw that clip and were like, holy shit, that's cool as hell. LMAO, like who is like who is this? That would like that's cool, that's wavy, that's like that like like what like what the fuck is this? And Cassidy Cassidy can do that for you. And they've protected him really well. They haven't overexposed him, which is which I think has been the best part about this, is that he doesn't wrestle, does his signature spots, gets out the ring. And like if they can continue to do something like this where maybe you do Pac versus Cassidy again, or maybe you try like Kenny Omega versus Cassidy or uh, Mox versus Cassidy, Darby versus Cassidy. Like, he's a guy where I really do believe he could be a legit star for them. And I think, like, at some point, it's going to go beyond the comedy because that, that crowd connection is unreal. And he's actually, obviously, very good at wrestling. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing about it is both of these guys, really, if you think, if you, like, break down their characters or, like, I think thought of as like cartoony versions of like heels and baby faces, like just over the top, like ridiculous. I mean, the bastard Pac and, you know, freshly squeezed orange casting the way that they act, but they also just have a lot of depth to their character. It's like, it's, you look at it at face value and it looks one note and you're just kind of like, I get it, but there's a relatability and there's, you know, depth and dimension to the characters pack more than orange cassidy but there is still some there for 
Orange Cassidy where you get into him. And it is like you look at it on paper. If you don't pay attention, you can definitely see like, oh, these are cartoony heels and baby faces. It's going to just be whatever. They're just going to do their thing. But you do show Pac go through like a, a range of emotions. <laughs> you know, there's even and people said like, oh, he breaks and he smiles at one point. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I thought that that just played into the character. He was smiling like in a what the fuck like frustrated it well he wasn't like it wasn't you i to me i could play it off like it wasn't just he's you know marking out of the moment and breaking character it was like the fuck is going on here and then it also plays into in that moment where he did smile that's the moment that he gets caught with the dive so it's like he did kind of take his eyes off the ball for a second it wasn't just out of kayfabe it really was there was a moment where he's just like what the fuck am i doing here like why am i not destroying this asshole with his hands in his pockets why is he doing this stupid rolling bullshit? And why is the crowd so fucking into him? And in the moment, he couldn't help but just laugh at the absurdity of the situation. And because of how focused and how direct and just how fucking amazing Pac is, he took his eye off the ball for one fucking time ever in a match. He's not completely focused, and that's when he gets caught. And it was, to me, I'm like, that's perfect. How do you look at that and say he broke character and he smiled for a second and that doesn't make sense with the bastard pockets like look at what's happening or or he's corpsing it's like no he's not he's like he's like he's he's fed up he's like what is what the fuck is going on here (laughs) yeah and it wasn't just it just happened it literally cost him he got caught with a dive like it made sense it made complete sense it was so perfect and i i just i don't get people who can't see the forest for the trees it's like the stupid little detail is the only thing that they focus on and they don't think about the context Oh, Pac is not supposed to ever smile. Well, in certain settings, everyone fucking smiles. He's a human being. And that's why I say he's not just a cartoony villain character. He's the bastard, but he's got a full range of emotions. And he shows them all here. Orange Cassidy, the the fucking just out of this world babyface underdog selling. Like, that's the thing that I think people overlook. He's a cartoon, he's funny, he's goofy, it's all comedy. But the thing that keeps the crowd invested and the thing that keeps the crowd coming back is that he can have this kind of match, he did it in the David Starr match, where he sells his ass off and you just get invested in him bumping it. You know what Orange Cassidy does that's like so impressive? He does this bet, the best like dead man selling that you'll ever see. Yeah. When he flops, he's like his arm, he does the like weird arm flop to the side, it just looks awkward and he just looks like he's completely dead and you just... I don't know, it just gets you. You just get into like, it. Like, so. do you know how hard it is to, like, still, like, bump and sell that well with your hands in your pockets? Like, right. Like, <laughs> like, 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 that's incredible to me. And that's one of those, like, this, right. like obviously, like, we know how good Cassidy has been because he's been a really good wrestler for a, for a long time and, like, different, like, different, like, different iterations of himself. But, like, that's, like, that's how you fucking sell. Like, even, like, being like your body being restricted like that he's still just evoking this kind of sympathy that you know you first really saw it um explored in david starver's cassidy where like that was like really like a star maker for cassidy and like uh like something that, something that legitimized them but yeah like this this might, this might be an even more effective version of something like that where it's i, I cassidy he is a star and it kind of sucks that like Pack doesn't have a belt because like whenever they introduce a mid card title, I, I think it has to go to Pack because this guy is so out of this world at this point that I, he he just needs to be like a, like the TV champ whatever whatever they can come up with he he needs something. Yeah, 
no definitely that's yeah that's definitely true like he he doesn't quite feel like he should be the top champion for the company but he definitely should have some kind of prize that's his you know and and then that he that like is his focus because he's just so good that it doesn't make sense honestly that he's not going after the championship and if if you're not going to put him in that conversation like he needs to have something that he's you know working with i mean i I mean i i think the next match is probably going to wind up being moxie versus pack but yeah but but other other than that like it's it's really it's really hard to just it's really hard to it's really getting hard to justify like hey why is pack not the top heel (laughs) right yeah and i mean especially with like i said that there's there's the rumors that jericho's taking off and and i mean i don't think jericho was ever a long-term fix anyways i think jericho was meant to help establish the company and and really is not meant to be the top heel of the company for a long time and behind jericho i mean the only number two has to be pack i mean you could make arguments for the other people in the inner circle because of being connected to jericho they're over but on his own two feet i think pack is is the number two heel um it could be you could even argue should be the number one heel um after this match, they announced that they're doing a war games. They're calling it something else. Um, I do think that the concept of what it might be could play into the finish of the main event. So we can kind of talk about that uh, once we get into that. But main event. These are two guys. Uh, no, actually, I think you're a big fan of Moxley. But Jericho, I think uh, you're definitely a little bit iffy on. Um, and I think that here he's definitely hitting some of the tropes that he's been doing, um, you know, since his return, since his kind of reinvention recently. Um, and just kind of playing the hits in that. What did you think of the match? I mean, like, like knowing like like how bad a, like one of their like their previous stuff was together in WWE. Like, this is definitely not as bad as that stuff is. I still wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but like I kind of enjoyed the brawling that they were doing in the beginning, and then when they transitioned to a regular match, I got less interested. But I I like the crowd brawling they did to start. Um. I just don't think Jericho's very interesting in a pro in a pro style environment, and even with the smoke and mirrors and the interference and all that kind of stuff, I just don't think he's very entertaining. Watch watching him work. So you know, while I'm, while I'm a big Moxley fan, I think there was only so much that Mox could do. And you know, despite interference and blood and all that kind of stuff, I just didn't find myself getting sucked into this. Did uh, did, it, did it work for you? It worked for me, but I what I will say that I like about it is they kept it short. They, the, the, the stuff that was like a real match, like you're talking about, was not protracted. The match was primarily the crowd brawling, the ring brawling, the stuff with, uh, with Proud and Powerful on the outside getting involved. So they really leaned into the, the best parts of, of what the match could do. Right. And then the stuff that was happening in the ring was relatively short and really felt like, you know, it's just the requisite. You have to, you can't have a match just end outside the ring. So you got to have some match in the ring, you know, um, I, I really liked what they did with, with Moxley bleeding out of the, you know, kind of in the, the messed up eye area and then eventually takes off the uh, the eye patch and he's, his eye is fine. Because as the match was go when he came out to at the beginning of the match, I'm like, is this just Moxley's deal? Is he just going to be a guy who wears an eye patch forever? Because they're getting to the point now where it doesn't make sense. It's getting almost to the point where he's had it for too long so that you can just take it off. So it's kind of the perfect time to do it, you know, because I was already having that kind of thought. So it was the perfect time, I thought, timing-wise, for it to make sense for him to take it off. He takes it off in the right setting. Um, 
I think that I do kind of agree with some of the people's sentiment that like this was not the match to switch the title storyline wise. Um, okay, so but unfortunately, let me, let me push back on that a little bit, right? Okay. So, Mox is like as hot as like anyone in the, any, anyone in the company right now. Jericho has held the belt, you know. You know, again, what, what was uh, double or nothing or what? What, 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 you know, what was that show? Double yeah, almost a year. It was like almost a year at this point, really. He's he's held he's held the belt even even before dynamite dynamite launched. And again, to me, if I look at it, well, Moxley has fought off the entire the entire inner circle by this point. He's outsmarted them several times. Um, picked fights he can't win and. All that kind of all that kind of stuff turned them down and uh, bashed Jericho over the head with with the with a champagne bottle. Like I know that like for some people, for and if you just look at it from the realm of dynamite, it probably feels like it probably feels too early to have Jericho lose. But for me, I guess from the perspective of looking at it from like the time he actually won the belt, this feels this for me this feels like the perfect time. And like Moxley is so uh, over and has so much potential as champ. That I, I can't say it's like the wrong decision, at least in my opinion. No, I think it's the right decision, and I think that Moxley should have won should be the one who won the title. And I just looked it up and Jericho's had the, the belt for like six months, so like half a year basically. Um it was like August of last year that he won it. But um no, I think that Moxley should have won the title. I don't even think it should have been that much longer after this. I could have even seen them swapping it on a TV rather than even waiting for the next big pay-per-view. My my point is more that the story that you're telling, this was the match where the whole point should have just been Moxley getting his hands on Jericho and that he wins by finally getting a chance to beat the crap out of Jericho, but Jericho still outsmarts him because the way that they've shown Moxley is he's, you know, he's the, the dog that finally catches the car. It was what you should have been here because he's never been smart. <laughs> and when it comes to AEW, like... He always gets outnumbered. He always gets the crap beat out of him by a bunch of people. He always ends up, you know, losing the segments because he doesn't really have plans. And so I think that, that this should have been the match where all he does is he gets his hands on Jericho. He, he beats the shit out of Jericho, but in the end, he still gets screwed over. Um, instead of outsmarting Jericho with the, uh, you know, taking off the the eye patch, you know, it felt like this should have been the first step and then you build into that. But I do think that doing that, having him take the eye patch off, and being that it's finally after all these times of being the the dumb you know the dumb guy who's just blinded by his rage that he actually did have a game plan and was actually smart and ready for this kind of makes sense it just to me it feels like a little rushed um, his character should have needed like one more match to like get to this level counterpoint though if you do that you're pretty much doing the same exact thing that you do that you're doing with Cody and MJF right which does hurt that they had basically a very similar kind of thing happen on the same show so it worked out i mean it made sense it just felt coming into the match like i said it felt like this should have been the blow off of this match should have been about just to me felt like the way you've presented the characters was about moxley getting his hands on jericho not about him winning the title yet but it was definitely the right person he's definitely the hottest he'll ever be and who knows i mean maybe he maybe you do something like that and then he comes out of it not as hot i doubt it but it is a risk so they may have they may have made the completely right choice in every way and not just like in the ways that i agree are definitely correct but also like that this was the smart move and it probably was a smart move well, well, and i think it was time go ahead well what i was gonna say to me is that like i fully understand and appreciate what jericho did to did to legitimize the company in the belt right but one jericho losing does not hurt does not hurt him at all 
Jericho yeah. can do whatever he wants after this, and he's still and he's still gonna be over as fuck because he's Chris Jericho and he's funny, he's charismatic, and the crowd's gonna lap up whatever whatever he does. Um, again, so I guess for me is that I just think that that Moxley now offers you something that Jericho didn't, and that even with Jericho at his best, he didn't offer you a guy that could deliver you a killer main event, and. Now with Moxley in there, and some people don't like Moxley as much as me and you do, but now with Moxley in there, you know, who knows how good like a like a Moxley versus Pack match, whether it's a a, t- a, title, a title match on TV or a title match on pay per view could be, or you know, um, a, you know Mox versus MJF if MJF can work can work up the rankings and you get you get Moxley versus M versus MJF or Jericho wanted Jericho wanting a rematch or other people stepping up. It's. I think Moxley just offers you a better guy when it comes to going out there and delivering in the in the main event spot. And I said I pre, I think that Jericho is still going to be a very valuable guy when it comes to just uh, Dynamite still being uh, a good show hour to hour getting getting certain ratings. But I, I feel like Jericho did all he could do, and at this point, you got to see what Mox offers. No, definitely fair. And Mox is a lot more set up to do the Monster of the Week type you know, champion like style. We, he already showed that with the match with Cobb because you get a lot more diversity and a lot more range with Moxley. Moxley, you know, people can say whatever they want, but he trains and he does pretty good as far as I'm concerned, doing things that are a little bit more shoot style. You know, he can pull that off. He can wrestle just regular matches. He can brawl. He can also have actual death matches, not just like brawls, but like death match, not just death match adjacent stuff, but you can get really death match type stuff so it's like you've got a champion who really can face all comers have a lot of different diverse styles of matches like you're talking about he can be very interesting and again like i said like we've already seen with the the cob match that he can do that monster of the week you can bring in anybody heat him up really quick and do a challenger you know against him and he'll work a style that fits with whoever and he can pull that off and and really deliver so he is definitely a guy that they needed to give they should have given a shot to and it's the perfect time in a lot of ways like i said the only thing to me is it felt like the story could have gone on longer but if jericho is taking time off from what i heard like if you think about it they didn't want to wait until it was very clear that jericho was going to be leaving so that everyone would know he was going to lose i think coming into this match you definitely had the thought that either guy could win if this tour that in the summer was already being advertised and was out there openly in the public um, before their next match, you would assume that Moxley's going to win, so you get some of that too. You get to be able to have a surprise. And, like I said, I think you set up now where we have this War Games coming up, where you can do an inner circle versus whoever. It could be a Moxley-led team, it could be an elite team, whoever, in a in a uh, the, the War Games-style match, and that can be a good way to write off Jericho getting injured or hurt in the War Games match, and also covers up for why he doesn't get a championship rematch. You know, even though they've, you know, AEW hasn't said that there's a, you know, rematch clause or anything like that, people automatically always kind of think that the champion should get a rematch, but if he goes out because of whatever crazy violent insane thing that that could happen in the in the war games, then he then you don't really question, well why is Jericho never getting another title match and he's just gone. So, to me, I think uh I think that that makes a lot of sense. They did a really good job of like of setting that up by announcing it before the match. And then, you know, I think you can lead into that really well. And I think you're ready. What do you think about what do they do with a war games match? Like it is kind of odd for them to announce that they're having a war games match rather than announcing the actual match. It kind of feels a little bit WWE where it's like, 
Hell in a Cell pay-per-view is coming up, so people are going to wrestle in the cell, even though it, you know um, we haven't really built the story. I mean, you kind, I mean, you kind of assume there's going to be Inner Circle and like, uh, you know, and, and that, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know who the other who the other team would be. You know, they kind of moved on from the Elite, and I think there is there might be some spoke to the idea of Jericho taking time off relatively soon. So if you get a team together of like all the people that. Uh, the inner circle have wronged. So what? Mox, Darby, uh, Dustin, and whoever else they want to throw in there. Uh, that, that that's that's a perfect that's a perfectly fine that's a perfectly fine match there. And like like they get they get you all the, they get you all the stuff that you really want. You want to get Dustin in his dad in his dad's match. You want to get Darby to do something nutty. Um, Moxley can get you know can put the nail can, can put the nail in Jericho, and I think that'd be, I think that'd be an interesting way to like at least close off like this chapter of Dynamite history. As I think like the if you if Jericho is moving on to go on tour or something like now like you're kind of moving into like the, into the Moxley era, and I think that probably it'd be a good way to end this end this off. Yeah, definitely. I think I think I'm excited for that definitely, and that's going to be on TV, and we'll see. Maybe I mean hell, maybe you have some of these hinted rumored at debuts people coming in relatively soon um someone like a Brody lee matt hardy even you know i know that they announced uh lance archer but you know lance archer jeff cobb coming back like there's a lot of people that you could throw into that kind of uh, war game setting that could be very interesting to see where it goes so yeah coming out of it i mean coming out of the pay-per-view what do you think i think we both agree that that having moxley as the champion is a good move for them moving forward it's a positive, and I think that it definitely makes things more interesting. I won't even say that things were stale, but it's like it's really smart of them to freshen things up before it even gets a chance to feel stale, you know? Yeah, like I said they they didn't wait they didn't wait too long with Jericho. Um, they pulled the trigger when it when it when it made sense to pull the trigger, and you know that's really all you want from a wrestling company company sometimes. And you know it kind of like puts the like really puts a nice bow on top of this show where you have a match like. Uh, like that tag title match that's going to go down and be one of the highest rated matches of the year. And, you know, it's just hard for me to imagine this show gets the same reception if Jericho just winds up retaining. I think, like, the excitement that Moxley brings winning the belt on top of the fact that you just saw this epic, crazy match for the tag titles, and you just saw this star maker for Pac and Ar- for, uh, for Orange Cassidy, I think Moxley really, Moxley winning kind of, like, set the tone like this is this was an exciting show for them and as someone that hasn't been like super strong on aw pay-per-views i thought i thought this one did a lot of right yeah it's definitely all starting to click it's interesting that they they switched all of the championships relatively close together um they all have the, the second champion for each belt relatively quickly um so we'll see where they go moving forward from from there um anything else you want to say before we head out uh no, just really just really enjoyed the show and um the young bucks are the best tag team ever.